Hello, Gilmore Girls. Hello. Are you all it. there? Hello, Gilmore Girls. Is everyone in Stormy's Hollow? Are we... <laughs> Luke's... What is it? What are we... What is this that we're doing? Well... Welcome, oh friends. Hello. Hi. Welcome, friends. Welcome back. You came back for Gilmore Girls Part 2. You came Gilmo back. Well, Gilmore Girls Revisited. So Gilmore Girls, part like, two. part... Yeah. So it's probably like... Well, I don't even think we portioned our episodes at that point, so I think it would be... No, we didn't. Yeah. No. So the third so, I mean, of our just, Gilmore episodes. It's yes. right, but it's re it's the this is the series is Gilmore Girls Revisited. Yeah. So yes, the second part. GGR of that. Grr. The second part of that yes. thing that we yes. Um are we do we know how to do this? Um No. <laughs> sort of. So hi. Hi everyone. <laughs> it's Pop DNA. It's us, and we're it's us here and talking. We are both mutually here, recording and talking to you about the Gilmore Girls. About the Gilmore uh, Girls. The Gilmore Girls. And you know, <laughs> as uh, so as is customary, sometimes we'll have Gilmore <laughs> Girls on in the background, or whatever we're we're talking about will be on silently in the background. And right now, I just have to tell just you, just to put us in the mood, yeah. And right now I have to tell you that Dean is wearing a a gray Nike sweatshirt, but then his leather jacket over it. And I just <laughs> feel like that encapsulates Wait, how I feel about one? him. Oh, season two, I think. No, no, okay. season one, because it's... They haven't broken up yet. Yeah. Yes, season you one. You know, those, those early 2000s fashion choices yeah. were real interesting they were a lot like Lo lorelei's like corduroy jackets with the fur uh -huh. collars were actually cute but they're very 2000s they're very 2000s and then like rory with her like giant like bright orange watch or is it yellow it's a, it's it's gigantic <laughs> the watch that yeah. she wears yeah it's gigantic yeah and her yellow backpack is just quite the a, yellow backpack yeah iconic um. Uh, uh, yeah. So Gilmore Girls. So Gilmore this Girls. Is, this is what we're doing right now. Um, do you, what are what are we what are we? Well, last week, <laughs> last week we did our our table of con previously on Gilmore Girls. We did our uh, table of contents. Yeah. So we also just kind of like aired a bunch of stuff that I think we had been bottling up inside. Yeah. <laughs> about this show for a long time. Absolutely. So that was a good time. Go back and listen to that long if you time, haven't. Long time watchers, third time talkers about it. So we had a lot to talk yeah. about. We had a lot to say. And you know, it's been one week since we looked at <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> At this point, it's been almost three years since our Gilmore Girls wow. episode, right? Or oh, no, almost four years. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. So, because it's season five, so wow. um, I think things processed a little bit further. Yes. Than they had even at that point. Totally. So. Yeah. So we <laughs> we had a lot to say. Um, and today, and we, and we still do. We, we still sure, have a lot to say. Sure do. <laughs> yes. And today on Pop DNA, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Hello, thank you. Thank you, my friends, for joining us. We're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. So we're going to kind of deep dive into the romantic relationships that are going on. So buckle up, I'm Patty. Buckle up, but I've got a body in the trunk. Of oh, you've got the gams, <laughs> and I've got a body. I've got a body in the trunk of my car. <laughs> Which leads us to our second topic of today, which is the the microcosm of the small town and how it relates to Jane Austen, right? Did I get that right? Well, you're going to talk about romantic relationships, right? Yeah, I just didn't want to only talk about what I was talking about. I wanted to mm. connect it to what I wanted to be like. I didn't want to just be oh, like... I mean, we'll get there. I, wanted, I didn't want to we'll be like, there. blah, 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 this I'm is not what concerned. I'm talking about. I'm the... Yeah. <laughs> So we'll get there. 
And if we don't get there, we don't get there. <laughs> and frankly, if we want to do dinner, we're going to do dinner. If we want to go to dinner, we go to dinner. <laughs> A real life thing that we heard. <laughs> A real life thing we heard. Nobody is going to get that, Aaron. No, but, it, but they needed to know. Because you, you know those people who, you know when you're out with your gal pals. <laughs> And you hear something wild, you just gotta keep talking. Well, you're about people it. watching. Yeah, exactly. it was like this. It was like these three ladies who are probably like in their sixties or or even seventies, maybe. Yeah, that like at the, that were like this is like looking like like I don't know how fifty years into the future yeah. for us. Like <laughs> like this is what we're gonna be like. Like well, we want to go to dinner. We're gonna we go, go to dinner. I feel like that's. I feel like that's the attitude we have right now. Totally. Um, but just... are you asking <laughs> like, me if we to go, go to, to dinner? dinner? We're gonna <laughs> um, always. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I I started thinking about: Are there healthy relationships in this show? Mm, no, no, because <laughs> like we... except for except for Lane and Zach, they're the healthiest. You know what? I believe in them. I think they're going <laughs> to I think they're going to make it. I think, I think those two kids are going to make it. Um, <laughs> but we kind of mentioned this in our table of contents episode, but there's this kind of idea that we're supposed to root for these relationships or we're supposed to like think that these are good, strong relationships. And and there's a lot of stuff that's really bad in them. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of um, just interesting things on both sides. It's not just that they have bad boyfriends. It's that they're kind of manipulative yeah. sometimes, too. It's kind of a whole thing. But mostly it's bad boyfriends. Mostly it's bad boyfriends. But um, <laughs> I really wanted to talk with you all about the zone of vulnerability and why that's important to relationships. <laughs> I'm, gather round, children. Gather I'm a little round. Nerv- or not nervous. I'm a little nerdy, is what it is. I'm a nervous uh-huh. nerdy. So, yeah, that zone of vulnerability. Well, and you're you're a student of Blech. the zone of vulnerability, aren't you? I am, and I actually think that vulnerability and a fear of it is what plays into what makes Lorelai and Rory so interesting. But then specifically looking at the zone of vulnerability, so to define our terms, your zone of vulnerability is um, that bubble that you create with someone that you're in a romantic relationship with. It can also be for friendships, but I'm focusing it here on romantic relationships. And it's that feeling that you can kind of relax with this person, that you trust this person to not judge you as harshly as the rest of the world might that kind of comfy sweater that you build with you you knit with the person that you're dating um oh dear I sweater weather sweater weather um and sweater weather I really wanted to look at how those zones are created and whether or not they're ever fully functioning for a few of our relationships here in Gilmore Girls I feel so nerdy but I like it so I wanted to start with um, Emily and Richard, because hmm. I do actually, I think sometimes they're, they're a really interesting couple, but I think that they do develop this zone of vulnerability. And one of the things with the zone of vulnerability is that you feel comfortable with the other person, and then you can kind of go off and find those moments of independence. And that's where I think they do a pretty good job, um, at least in the beginning mm. of the show. So, like, Emily has her whole world. Richard has his whole world. And then sometimes they do go to functions together, but they're allowed that space to be independent of each other. And I think that's, for me, what makes their relationship work, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, like when we see the episode where Richard comes home and, like, doesn't have a job for a bit and then Emily, like, loses her mind because she can't handle <laughs> that he's all the way there. I think that's kind of a metaphor for a clingy relationship where maybe you don't have those, that wingspan, I guess. So, like, if you're in a relationship and you're not allowed to do your thing and they're not allowed to do their thing and you have to be 
formed together the whole time, it's super not healthy. And I think that's maybe what we see go so wrong with Dean and Rory later um, in that relationship. But I think Richard and Emily do a pretty good job of forming that zone of vulnerability because they connect to one another and they respect each other enough to say, you have your own whole world and I have mine. And then we come together and we partner each other. Like Hmm. when they're at the Bracebridge dinner and (laughs) Richard hasn't told Emily that he's quit his job because he's deeply unhappy there. Right. Mm -hmm. And at first she's upset that he hasn't told her and that that's kind of their whole livelihood. But then she also like, comes to understand the choice and kind of why he did it so like she respects him enough to say oh I was scared but I understand you and I understand where you're coming from um, and let's work through this together as a partnership and that's one of the moments that I kind of point to that lets me Mm. know that they have like a strong relationship it And then it gets tested and there are elements Mm -hmm. of it later in the show that are not as strong as, you know, a real human couple goes through. But I think it starts at least from a place of a comfortable zone of vulnerability together, um, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So what do you think, what do you think is ultimately responsible for like when they go through like their separation like what what is going on in like either in their relationship or maybe in like one or both of their lives apart from each other right that that causes that separation I think I love that question I think there are parts of it like I think Emily stops feeling heard and respected by him or not even respected she's I think Emily starts feel stops feeling desired by Richard Mm. um there's those moments in some of the earlier seasons where like where they're at the like when they're at the brace fidge dinner to point to that again and they're in the um coaches together and Richard gets a little flirty with her and she likes Mm -hmm. his daring and she kind (laughs) of likes that he would be flirting with her in front of all these people even if it's not in public it is in public she likes that kind of I don't know that feels risky to her in a way that she really likes uh I think but then over the course of the years Richard starts being more interested in his newspaper or his car or his Mm -hmm. these different little projects and I think without meaning to I think he stops giving her those moments and I I honestly think Richard just has the idea that they're comfortable and set so he doesn't need to try that hard anymore. He doesn't have to put in the effort. Yeah, and I think Emily kind of misses it. And then it gets, like, there's stuff with his mother that gets in there, and there's stuff with... Mm. And Jason! And freaking Jason. So I think... (laughs) Digger Styles. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) I think it's one of those situations where... There are little cracks, and then they get exacerbated by Mm, these things that are out of the couple's control. So then the little cracks get larger and larger and larger, and suddenly you've not mentioned it to the person. So Mm -hmm. Emily doesn't mention, hey, I'm not feeling, like, desired by you anymore, and you have this awful Jason guy and your mom hates me. She doesn't say that. (laughs) She just kind of like, I mean, because it's really hard to say those things. And then, Mm -hmm. and then Richard thinks they're fine. And Richard is swept up in his own world um, and thinks that through the zone of zone of vulnerability, they've moved past that the need to to do those little things um and so he kind of gets sigh gets kind of like oh what's the word gets kind of um confused complacent. yeah complacent and then yeah. confused when when she's all of a sudden really 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 deeply hurt by him she's so mm-hmm. he's like wait where where this ah <laughs> what happened um <laughs> that's my take on it i don't know how do you feel about them as a couple yeah, I think that they, um, 
I think that it is all Jason's fault, honestly. True. Yes. Um, <laughs> the party when Emily has the party and he just cancels uh-huh. the whole thing. Yeah. That's. Hmm. And that's like one of the few times that Lorelai really like takes Emily's side yeah. and like really really kind of like understands the depth of hurt that Emily is feeling. Yeah. And yeah, like I think that's really nice. I love because that, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And yeah. I also think that that's I love that moment because that's also when we see how Lorelai relates to her mother because I don't think Lorelai would necessarily air her grievances either if she stopped if her Mm -hmm. pride was hurt I think Emily's pride gets hurt when she no longer feels like take the the party that uh Jason tries to throw Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's at Atlantic City like Atlantic City (laughs) I think that that makes especially makes Emily feel specifically not like sexy anymore you know she doesn't feel desirable and that and her pride gets hurt and I think that's something we see a lot with Lorelai as well as is her pride and she's not gonna tell you that her pride's been hurt because it's her pride and you know so I I love these women (laughs) I really do Mm -hmm. (laughs) so then moving Rory and Jess Oh, yeah, Rory and Jess. So I think Rory. Wait, no, you have Lorelai and Luke next. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, Lorelai and Luke. But either way, I got excited. You I'll do, you know, we can skip Lorelai and Luke for now. We'll do Rory and Jess because <laughs> okay. I think in the grand scheme of things, no matter what happens later. So the zone, I don't think that the zone remains in place with. Uh, yeah. With Jess and Rory, but I think when it begins, it's like really, really there. I think you see them both respecting each other and kind of in awe of each other in a Mm -hmm. way that really helps the zone of vulnerability. Because if you feel like a rock star and the other person's looking at you like you're the hottest thing in the world, (laughs) you know, it's going to be a pretty easy way to form that zone of vulnerability. I also feel like they truly understand each other like they get each other on a really deep level yeah and it's almost like they're like on the same frequency yeah the same wavelength and I think that they their personalities like their sense of humor like matches so well yeah um that I think it kind of like even before they like start dating I feel like they have a somewhat of a zone of vulnerability because like Rory kind of turns to him when she feels like she can't talk to Dean about something totally you know like that kind of thing so yeah yeah and I think it and I think maybe part of the reason why it doesn't work out when they're teenagers is that that happens really fast yeah that like they form that zone of zone of vulnerability it's hard to say really 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 quickly I think because they are so in tune with each other yeah like personality wise that forms really quickly and they don't have the maturity to process that totally yeah that's my theory (laughs) no I completely agree I and I think you can kind of look at how they were raised because like Jess and Rory Mm. in a lot of ways both had to be the adults from an early age and Jess kind of got rightfully so I mean got angry about it and so I'm not saying that it's right that he lashes out at literally everyone Mm -hmm. but I think it's expected and I think in a lot of ways we see Rory lash out later in life you know so I think yeah they're both they've both processed kind of some trauma by that age as well, which makes them on that same wavelength. I I, I love them. <laughs> and, <laughs> My babies. <laughs> I, I like them so much. And then I think you can very easily continue this conversation into what goes so wrong with Rory and Dean. So yeah, Rory and Dean kind of form this zone. Like it's... It's very much like a first relationship. It's very, uh-huh. it's innocent. It's 
it's not ne- I I'm going to I'm going to be really bold here and say it's not as deep of a connection as it is an attraction. I don't think yeah that they're ever super connected. I think there's you like me, I like you. This is really interesting, but I don't ult- I think yeah. They both at least when they're when they first, you know, get together when they're 16, I think that they are both enamored with the idea of being in a relationship. Absolutely. And they don't, which is very, very common for, for relationships, you know, between 16 year olds. That is very, very common. So I think it's like, it's a textbook teenage relationship in that way. And absolutely. And I think you can kind of point to their nerves a little bit, like, Rory's a little bit shy and kind of fumbling over her words, as we all have been, and rightfully so. And Dean's kind of presenting this caricature of himself to her. And so they never really get to that, like, they never know each other as deeply, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they misconceive each other. And they're obviously also super attracted to each other. And those those hormones are raging, and it's just... (laughs) Yeah. And this is where I think the writing in the show is really wonderful because then when they break up and then come back together, Dean's just an entirely different person. He's formed into himself and Rory has too. And they're no longer compatible at all. They're like such Mm -hmm. a mismatch, but that's not to say either of them did anything wrong. And I think, and I think also like, it's interesting that you bring up the like, the writing of the show is responsible for this because obviously the writing is trying to turn Dean into a foil for Jess. Yeah. Like they're, because they're setting up that, Oh, like, you know, yeah. because like, if you look at the way that Dean is written at the very beginning, like he gets Rory's references. Yeah. Like, and he seems like a lot more like, Maybe not easygoing exactly, but he seems a lot more willing to kind of like bend with her, um, yeah. you know, like her whims or whatever. Um, but then like the way that he's written in season two, once Jess is introduced and they now have to kind of turn Dean into like the the boring one or yeah. like the, you know, the one who's wrong for Rory so that Jess can be shown in the light of like the exciting one or whatever. Like they change the way that Dean is written. Totally. And like, I think that we can view that through that lens, but I think it's really interesting that you bring up that it's after they've been broken up and then get back together that we see that change in him. Right. And I think that it is like, I had never thought about it in the light of that. Like, well, maybe he did change as maybe it is realistic that he changed as a person during that time apart and, you know, didn't like, like Rory hadn't changed enough or like they had just kind of grown apart and didn't, um, and didn't realize that they were no longer really compatible at that point. Yeah. Which, you know, is also like kind of realistic, but I feel like it's uh, (laughs) like the more realistic, like kind of boring real world explanation is just that they needed Dean to contrast with Jess. Like changed how he was written, but that, that is an interesting, yeah. And I think, anyway, (laughs) oh, absolutely. And you see that too. Suddenly Dean no longer has his leather jacket. So he was very much like, yeah, written in the no longer has his leather jacket. He no longer like understands obscure pop culture references. Like, did he, did he forget all of them? Like what, what happened? (laughs) And yeah. And I I think, um, there's also those moments where like, when you go through a breakup at that age and then you're you idolize the other person and you like obsess over what the relationship was and then you get back with them and you're like huh <laughs> okay well so this, this is yeah this isn't, is this how it always was or is yeah. this really what I freaked out about for six months because this is not uh-huh. good um yeah it's <laughs> it's all all in 
all inside. Okay, I have one more. I know I've been talking for like 26 <laughs> minutes, but um, I could obviously talk I'm about this. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Okay, so we have okay. to talk about a relationship with Lorelai, obviously. And I was thinking a lot about Lorelai and Luke. Although you could also absolutely do this with Lorelai and Christopher. Mm-hmm. In which case, I would say for Lorelai and Christopher, they form that relationship at a at such a young age, but they don't grow apart. So it's like the anti-Rory yeah. Dean, because they continue to be super compatible and kind of speak from the same center point. Mm-hmm. They speak each other's language. Very much. And it never really. And in those moments, it's where you see that Sherry is super not for for not Richard. Gosh, that's Freudian. Uh, Well, Sherry's uh, not for Richard either. He's not. He's super not for (laughs) Richard. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. But um, (laughs) with with Sherry, you kind of start to see, oh, she's not right for uh, Christopher, but Lorelai is. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I see you, ASP. I see ya. Um, uh-huh. It's very, it's honestly very blatant. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's almost like sometimes we need different things from people at different moments in our lives. No. <laughs> it's almost like a wonderful relationship that you had in your 20s can be just that. Note to my former self. Um, anyway. Aww. Yeah. I feel a Taylor Swift moment coming on. Can't you see that I... Sorry, go on. The one who understands, understands you, Benny, all along, so why can't you see? E- e- I do... One <laughs> thing that I would commend Gilmore Girls for doing is not doing that storyline with Rory when she was in high school, where she's like, you know, pining over the popular yeah. guy. She's very much focused on like, I'm gonna go to school, I'm gonna go yeah. to Harvard. And then, and then Dean like, can't deal. Yeah. Dean can't deal. Dean's like, what but I'm here. <laughs> okay. What? Well <laughs> I have never heard of Rosemary's baby. Um <laughs> even though by all Sorry. by all accounts he would have Even though he gets the reference on the pilot but, and then he's like complete okay. But then he's he like He doesn't but then like he doesn't know who Bjork is? Like what? Well right. Like he's a little bit like the Socratic idea that we know everything, we've just forgotten it. Dean just forgets everything. He just He kind of <laughs> forgot about just like Danny forgot about the fleet, you know. Yes, da- Daenerys forgot about the Iron Fleet. You know, she just kind of exactly, forgot about and it. Um, and Rory forgets. That's, that's yeah, Dean just kind of forgot about Rosemary's baby. Um, and Rory forgets about Marty. It's all, it all comes full circle. She does oh. forget about Marty. Oh, I would Marty. date him in a maybe, second. Maybe, maybe we should all be Team Marty. I mean, he's gorgeous I mean, and perfect and really nice. He's so cute and really nice and. Yeah. She oh, loves Rory. those bad okay. boys anyway. Wait. <laughs> Speaking of bad boys. <laughs> Jane Austen. <laughs> Jane Austen. <laughs> Jane Austen wrote some bad she boys. She sure did. I'll huh? say. Um, yeah. So that is an interesting um, transition, isn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> I do think it's interesting to look at this like, in conjunction with sort of the discussion of like romantic relationships and how those play out in the show. Because like, I think like, as you kind of mentioned maybe last, last week, like Amy Sherman Palladino has said that like, um, like these romantic relationships are really just an avenue to explore Lorelai and Rory's relationship with each other yeah like that's that's always been the focus of the show and I think that that's kind of one similarity that I see in the writing of Amy Sherman Palladino and the writing of Jane Austen is that in Austen's work like you know all of her novels are you know essentially the marriage plot like they're all Um, The heroine going through, like, some trials and tribulations and then ultimately, you know, marrying a a man at the end. Sure. Um, (laughs) But, like, 
the romantic storyline is never fully the point of the Jane Austen novel. It's the avenue through which the heroine discovers some aspect of herself and comes into her own as, you know, like her own identity and her own um, self as a person. So, and yet, like, Jane Austen's novels are often by many dismissed as simply romance novels. No. And Gilmore Girls is often, you know, reduced down to its romantic relationships. No. Very, yeah. It's like, anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I do, this is something that I explored a little bit in our original Gilmore Girls episode. Um, But I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and talk a little bit more about like the specific similarities that I see between the writing of Austin and the writing of ASP. Yeah. So I have a numbered list that um, we can go through here um, besides the the whole thing with like the romantic relationships just being a vehicle for the um, the female main character's growth. But anyway, Yay. <laughs> that does tie into the first point I have here, which is that um, both of their writing explores the interior lives and struggles and concerns and journeys of intelligent and flawed women. Yeah. So in in both Austin and in Gilmore Girls, you are seeing this world and this story through the eyes of a female protagonist um, at all times. And in both cases, you see the the narrative exploring problems that are very real to these female protagonists that are kind of just like the everyday, um, the everyday concerns of like kind of an average woman. Yeah. Um, and the like the female friendships are often centered and often more important than the romantic relationships. Um, I think in Gilmore Girls, we do get like a little bit more depth of character for a lot of the male side characters. Sure. um, Because Austin just doesn't explore um, her male character's interiority in in a lot of detail most of the time. Um, But there's still, in Gilmore Girls, the men are still always like in supporting roles um right do you have any thoughts on that i just i love it i think it's um we always see that happening to women characters that's all i'm saying oh yeah all the time yeah yeah it's yeah like there we see like we very often see um stories of women like i'm thinking like especially of like a tv series that's centered around a female main character so often it will sort of get like hijacked into just the stories of like her romantic relationships. Yeah. When, even even when that wasn't originally kind of part of what it was supposed to be about. But anyway. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and I also want to point out that I think that so we like we've kind of talked about how the writing of Gilmore Girls is sometimes like a little bit rosy about the flaws of its female main characters. Like it doesn't always see those flaws so clearly. Um, yeah. But I would say that with Jane Austen, she very much sees the flaws sure. of her main characters. Yeah. And those become a part of their journey. But I think that. Like, they're both very much concerned with and recognize the importance of, like, the daily experiences and concerns of women. Yeah, I think that's such an important note that Austin acknowledges the flaws. I think that um, Mm -hmm. makes for some of my favorite parts of the growth of the characters, you know. Um, My second point here is... Both explore class conflict and social issues, and both 
kind of expose both the negatives and positives of belonging to certain social and economic classes. Right. So class, you know, is a huge part of of Lorelai uh, of Lorelai's world yeah. in Gilmore Girls. Like she has very consciously moved down in economic class. Um, although I'd argue that she never fully leaves right. that upper class because she still kind of has that as a safety net. Yeah. But she's very consciously decided to try to belong to a lower, quote unquote, lower um, class than the one that she came from. So it's interesting that in Jane Austen, at least in most of Austen's novels, the main female character is usually from, I guess, like what we would consider now to be like a middle class background. Like she doesn't have any like truly lower class characters, but they're all in that kind of like, um, like the, uh, what do they call that? It's like not the noble class, but it's like the one right below that. Right. Or like, what is that? The gen, the gentry? Yes, the gentry. But they're always kind of like in the, ex- well, except for Emma Woodhouse, like they're always kind of in like the lower rungs of the gentry class. Yeah. Um, and then they, um, they kind of move into a sphere that's like a higher class. And um, that's where like a lot of the class conflict comes from because they um, are able to like observe the social behaviors and like the different kind of social um, rules that come with, you know, the a different class than what they're used to. Yeah. And um, in Gilmore Girls, like I mentioned, like Lorelai has kind of consciously moved down in class. So when we see like Rory kind of start to enter the world that her grandparents inhabit and like that kind of, you know, upper class, like rich kind of sphere, we're getting a similar, um, a similar dynamic to what we see in Jane Austen when like someone from a slightly lower class is moving into an upper class, you know, space. Um, And I think that like ultimately I think that Jane Austen, her narratives subtly kind of reinforce this class structure just because, like, that's the system that she was in and she couldn't really be, be like, interpreted to be questioning sure. the class hierarchy. Sure. Um, and I think that Gilmore Girls is ostensibly rejecting any kind of class hierarchy at least like kind of on the surface but but I think that ultimately we kind of see Rory at least kind of accepts this sort of class hierarchy yeah in a really weird way so yeah just different yeah different explorations of class because it's almost like Rory it's almost like Rory hits a few stumbling blocks and then runs at it. You know, she's like, mm-hmm. oh, shoot, I'm an adult with all these things. And then just kind of kind of runs there. Mm-hmm. If we want to look at like, um, I haven't been using examples, but <laughs> <laughs> but if we want to use like, like Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. So like she kind of like she kind of questions this class hierarchy, especially when, like, Lady Catherine, um, you know, comes to her and is like, you better not marry my nephew. Right. And and she's like, I'm gonna. But, um, <laughs> she, <laughs> but she says, like, he is a gentleman and I am a gentleman's daughter. Like, we're equals. So, like, she's kind of, like, she's questioning the class order in terms of, like, the the striations of the upper class itself but in the end she's saying no actually we are of the same class right and i think that rory kind of does 
the way that she kind of interacts, like, especially, like, with Logan and with yeah. his family, who are part of that upper upper class that, that Emily and Richard are. Where I'm thinking of the episode where um, she goes to dinner with Logan at his family's house, and yeah. she's like, um, but I'm a Gilmore. Like, do they not know? Like, right. So she's kind of doing that same, like, she's not, like, questioning that there's this class hierarchy in place. She's simply saying, well, I'm actually part of this class, too. Yeah. So it's a really, like, yeah, really interesting. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know, honestly, so like the, have you seen the, I think we talked about this, um, last time. Um, but there's like this YouTube video that's like Pride and Prejudice Gilmore Girls style where it like has the audio of the Pride and Prejudice trailer, but it puts clips from Gilmore Girls in there. Yes. I had forgotten all about that. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely. I know you talked about that. Yeah. So that casts Rory as Elizabeth and it casts Jess as Mr. Darcy, which kind of makes sense. But really, if we're looking at it in that kind of class um, lens, it makes sense to have Logan as Mr. Darcy. Absolutely. Because that's the, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Moving on from there. <laughs> so my third point is about the so the nature of small communities like small like insulated towns and also how one's reputation within one's community affects um, one's life and and actions so you know most of Austin's um, characters at least at some point um, are, you know, living in a small town and the story's taking place in this small town. So like in Pride and Prejudice, you have Meriton. In Emma, you have Highbury. Um, And so these small towns are where um, much of the action takes place and you have these sort of uh, like these sort of like kooky small town characters a lot of the time who like spread gossip and and you know like very similar to what we see in stars hollow sure um and there's also this sense of like kind of a social like insulation in stars hollow that like you kind of get the sense that like most people who live in this town don't really get out of the town very much right. like this is their whole world and that starts to kind of be um something that's present in in some of Jane Austen's work too for some of her um small town characters and yeah it's a so i titled this section a neighborhood of voluntary spies I love which is that. what <laughs> which is which is a quote from Jane Austen that she um it's actually from Northanger Abbey but it's kind of used as a way to describe like this small town where, like, everybody knows everything that everybody else is doing. Yeah. Which, like, fits Stars Hollow perfectly. Like, think of, like, Miss Patty and Babette, how, like, they always have all the gossip. Like, they know yeah. exactly what's happening. You mean, like, how, like, right now, how Rory and Christopher are walking around because Christopher has just come to town <laughs> for the first time? And Mrs. Patty yes. just took out her cell phone to call Taylor Dosey to tell him yes. that he's seen. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. It's so much like in Emma when Frank Churchill first comes to Highbury. Yeah. And everyone has, like, heard about him forever, um, like, kind of in relation to a family that the, that the community loves. And they're like, oh, is that him? Oh, I got to tell, you know, whoever. Like, this is, that's exactly what, oh my gosh. Yeah. Also, Christopher is totally a Frank Churchill. Sure. And Lorelai is Emma. And Luke is Mr. Knightley. I love this so much. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I love that. So (laughs) my fourth point Well, I guess my fourth and final point, because my fifth point I kind of already talked about with, like, the romantic relationships being, like, an important part of the story, but it's still, like, a secondary part. Sure. Um, 
so then my my final point um is the the sparkling dialogue yeah um, the sharp the sharp witty quips and the humor and also i would also kind of extend this to just how the characters in general are written like they're like not just the main characters but the supporting characters in both austin and in gilmore girls are very much like like they're very like fleshed out and they're very um like they all have like these obvious uh, not obvious but like they all have like their flaws they all have their quirks yeah um that like that's where a lot of the humor is often derived in both Gilmore Girls and in Austin's work um is that like it's the the humor arises out of the character and their uh like their um their quirks um yeah but then you also do have like this very sparkling dialogue um which i think asp and austin are both kind of like that's kind of their calling card is that they write this perfect sparkling dialogue and there's also also kind of going along with like how the characters are written and how the humor arises from the character um you um often have like the the main character so like you know, Rory and Lorelai, um, but then also in Austin, um, like, I think especially with, like, Elizabeth Bennet and somewhat with, like, Emma Woodhouse as well, like, you have the main character as being, like, very intelligent and kind of, like, almost, like, a little bit, ab- not above, but, like, um a little bit more discerning perhaps than a lot of the characters around them yeah and able to see the humor that comes out that other characters might be oblivious to sure um yeah if that makes any sense no that's (laughs) i think it's totally there in i mean in gilmore girl is like lorelei has is like by all accounts a, a good person but she also does kind of come from a she's place kind of, yeah she's kind of elitist she is um, yeah she's kind of a snob she, a little bit and rory gets there <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure yeah like like i was saying earlier like lorelei is kind of mean like yeah. she she like makes fun of people to their face sometimes yeah and like we're just we're usually just meant to kind of like oh ha, 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 off, ha. look how but... smart she is yeah mm. and i don't think that like i mean if we're looking at like like emma um emma woodhouse like she has that moment at the picnic where she insults miss Bates. yeah and like that's definitely something that like i could see lorelei yeah. doing like that's something that i could see lorelei saying um, Absolutely. But, like, the narrative never, like, the narrative holds Emma accountable for that. Yes. Um, which I don't see with Lorelai as much. No. Like, there are moments where Lorelai realizes that, you know, she's said something that has hurt someone and she's gone and apologized to them. But I don't see as much of, like... Uh, uh, being held accountable by the narrative with Lorelai. I think... I don't know. I think with Lorelai, it's only if the person matters to her. Like, mm, if she yeah. offends... I just watched the one where she offends Suki, where she says you haven't been in a relationship yeah. in years, and then she owns up to it. Like, that was super mean. But if she's cutting to someone she doesn't care about, I don't know yeah. that she necessarily cares, you know? Yeah. So, in summary, <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino, is she the Jane Austen of the 2000s or of our t- No, I don't think so. I maintain that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the Jane Austen yes. of our generation. Yes. Um, but, you know, maybe Amy Sherman Palladino was like, I don't know, maybe she's like Mariah Edgeworth or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Or maybe she's just herself. (laughs) Yeah. And Lorelai is Titania. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. 
Lorelai kind of is Emma Woodhouse, honestly. Oh, like, I, the more I think about yeah. it, the more that fits. This, like, when you said it, I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that concludes. I love it. My Jane Austen thought. Well, my Jane Austen thoughts are never concluded, but that <laughs> that concludes my notes. <laughs> no, I'm just in awe. I really thank you for coming to my TED talk. I'm in awe of all that you have just said. Your beautiful words are. I like them a lot. <laughs> Your beautiful tropical fish. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh that's what we have for this week. Yeah. And next week have more words (laughs) we have more words next week we're talking about we will we're gonna dig a little bit more into lorelei yeah aka emma woodhouse aka emma woodhouse Um, (laughs) aka and then you know what we're gonna get really really brave yes and we're gonna talk about politics because we have to Mm -hmm. so you don't want to miss that yeah my friends yes join us join us join us and and, uh, Sounds like we're starting a cult. <laughs> like the uh, you jump, I jump. You jump, I jump, Jack. Yeah, the... that's not a cult. That's a secret society. It's a little bit different. I mean, similar. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not the same. Anyway, but still yeah. as elite. But still, <laughs> but still manipulative, manipulative and, and a little bit gross sometimes. But a that's okay. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You live and you learn. Um, so, but do you? If you're Logan's friends, do if they? you're Rory, you don't, you don't learn. learn a whole lot. <laughs> so, join us. It'll be fun. It will be fun. And check us on Instagram because we're gonna try. We're gonna, we're gonna try. We really to are. Keep it updated. We have the best of um, intentions. We do. We really, really do. And we will see you next week. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye, friends.